aren't you, Billy? Absolutely. Uh, so it's wonderful to have him back to speak to us. Um, I'm going to pray for him briefly uh, because he needs help. As do we all. As do we all. I think I've said that every time I've prayed for someone here, and it still gets a laugh. So as long as we do this. And it's also true. So, Yeah, Father, I thank you for Billy. Lord, I ask you would speak through him this morning. Uh, Lord, you'd give him wisdom and clarity uh, to communicate what you want us to hear. And Lord, I pray for us, Lord, that you would give us uh, the ears to hear what he is saying and what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see you all. Nice to be back. Uh, one day only. Well, one day only. Um, the team is away, so they've let me loose. And I can't see them watching on, on YouTube either, so I can do whatever I want. Uh, Theo did ask if I would just update a little bit on what I have been doing over the last eight or nine months or so. Uh, so my role is twofold. One is to try and help the church in the city engage with each other and engage with the city. And then secondly, my role as a pioneer, international leader and helping networks in different nations form and develop and help churches in their communities be effective in their mission. And so that's the two things that I've been doing. Um, over the last four or five years in Southampton, a lot of the church leaders um, who've been around for many, many years have either retired or moved away. And so there's a whole new bunch of leaders in the city, a lot of younger leaders, uh, Anglicans and Pentecostals and Baptists and 17 new international churches as well in, in our city. So part of the task has been to try and gather those people together, help them get to know each other. Often when you're young and you're new in a city, your priority isn't necessarily the whole city. Your priority is just to get your little bit done uh, as well as you can. And so it'll take a little bit of time, but we've been meeting with all those leaders on a monthly basis, and we'll continue that for the next year or so, and just see what comes out of those friendships and relationships and so that's, that's the first thing that I've been sort of focusing on um, working with Paul Woodman on the Love Southampton seeking to engage with the city on different uh, levels Paul Woodman recently won uh, a City of Southampton award for his outstanding contribution to the city and was was given the award at the, at the Lord at the city mayor's mayor making event at the Guildhall last week and so um, that's in reckoning of all that Paul has done over these last, gosh, 20, 30 years or so. And then on the international side, particularly exciting to see um, the partnership developing between Pioneer, uh, which is the network of church that we're a part of, and School of Ministries, which is the teaching program that has developed from this church over the last 25 years or so. And so, for example, um, I was down in West Africa uh, in, in uh, March for a joint Pioneer School of Ministries conference. And uh, what's amazing in that in West Africa, there were five nations represented from Guinea, Sierra Leone, Ghana, Liberia, and Burkina Faso. Um, out of those five nations, there are currently 767 leaders doing School of Ministries, which is amazing. And 345 of those are in French-speaking Guinea. 
so Phil and Katrina have translated most of the School of Ministries modules into French, and so that is now being used on a weekly basis in that nation, French-speaking nation. So it is amazing what God is doing. Uh, we were in Costa Rica in April, and um, there are some connections of Alian and Susie, who are with us from Cuba, and uh, they have launched Pioneer and now want to launch School of Ministries in Spanish. And so we've asked Susie if she can begin to translate the module, and she's done five already, so five out of the 300, whatever it was, five out of 36. So she's on her way to do that. We've also had uh, people in Pakistan ask if they can translate it into Urdu. Uh, some churches in Ethiopia want to translate it into their native tongue as well. And so it just is, it, it's amazing to see what, what is happening in those places as leaders are being equipped and trained. And so there are currently 17 pioneer national networks now uh, at, at different levels of formation. We're down in Zambia in July for the launch of Pioneer and School of Ministries in Kitwe in the Copper Belt. And so um, lots of things that are going on. So that's, that's kept us busy. I spend lots of time in my upstairs room, Caroline's craft room. If you ever watch me on Zoom, you'll see all the floral boxes behind me, uh, talking to people all over the world. And so it's amazing how the lockdown, one of the things that it has is it's helped us understand Zoom and WhatsApp. And so whether I'm sitting in Southampton or San Jose or Islamabad, it's still possible to be communicating across the world. And so that's amazing to see. So keep praying for us and all that we're involved in, and uh, hopefully you'll get to interact with some of that in time. We are hoping to plan a trip, a team trip to Cuba next year. So if you'd like to be part of that trip, then just uh, make that note be April next year after Easter and so um, if you fancy a trip to Cuba to come see what God is doing in Cuba then you're very welcome okay parables I have been struck recently at um, how much of our lives are consumed with story and games you know when we come home at night and we put the TV on, we're either watching a game or watching a story. We're listening to music that's telling a story. And, and so much of our lives are, are taken up with story and with games. Jonathan, today we are going to witness <laughs> Southampton's, well, the final nail is in the coffin, is the curtains are closing on the coffin today. So there's something about being part of a game. You know, I watched the, um, the championship playoff final yesterday at Wembley, and it went to extra time and then penalties, and everybody scored their penalty. And then one poor guy came, penalty number six, and hit it over the bar, and he was devastated and it's almost like it's real life but it's not real life and there's something about story and games that helps us to process events of real life the nitty-gritty 
that actually is, it, is very helpful for our emotional processing. It's, it's, it's a very human thing. So Jesus, unsurprisingly, uses story to help illustrate points. Tom Wright describes them, the parables, as mazes designed to challenge the listeners to work out for themselves how to get to the heart of the matter. So it's, it's a way for us as human beings to get to a deeper understanding of, of what truth is, rather than just in a formulaic way. So the parable today we're looking at is in, in, in Matthew 7, and it's the parable of the wise and foolish builders. So let me read these uh, words to you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the, st the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I think when I first heard that parable, you know, we had, we had a song we used to sing at Sunday school. We shan't do the second verse, but thank you very much. <laughs> it was like, Jesus is the rock, so build your life on Jesus. That, that was what I understood to, to be. I didn't read, read it for myself. I, I, I just listened and was, was told that. But it's only partly true. And when I read the parable, the parable begins with the word therefore, and I was always taught when the word therefore is there, you need to ask what it's there for the word therefore. Well, it comes in Matthew chapter 7, and Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus tells the parable at the end of his sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, if you like, his kingdom manifesto. This is what it means to live the kingdom way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. And then he goes on 
in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 to talk about living our lives dependent upon God, walking humbly, having concern for our neighbor, being generous to those in need, paying attention to the attitudes and the motivations of our heart, because that's what anger, lust, and hatred fester, to love peace, to stand up for what is right, to not give up despite the fact that everyone else seems to be moving in the other direction. That was his sermon in a few sentences. And then he says, if you listen to my words and you put them into practice, you'll be like the wise man. He was saying it's, it's not enough just to listen, just to enjoy, just to be entertained by a great speaker. The point is you need to do what the teacher is saying. You need to take action. Now, in this context, a revival had already begun in a sort of way with John, John the Baptist. Uh, John had called the people to repent, to, to, to change their ways. And we read in Luke chapter 3 that many people came out to see John. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, but then an even tax collectors came to him. And so we see a, the shift taking place between it wasn't just the religious synagogue going people who were coming to hear John, but ordinary people, even tax collectors, the people on the margins of the society, sinners as they were called in other places, the, the people on the fringe, those who were outcast, those who were hated, were coming to listen to John. And they were also now coming to listen to Jesus. The crowds we read were growing, both the synagogue goers, the priests, but also now the ordinary people that these, these people on the margins. And so Jesus is addressing these, these two groups and saying, what, what's, what sort of house are you building? Wise or foolish? He, so he's directly challenging the religious people, those who, who claim to be close to God, who maybe in their own eyes were wise, wise builders. Their houses may look grand, but are they building on sand? Are they simply focusing on the externals, on, on, on how they look with no real concern for the issues of the heart? And then we see these tax collectors and sinners, these people who have been listening to John, 
they've been listening to Jesus, and they had started to change their ways. They, they were starting to make amends. They, they didn't look religious. They, they weren't turning up at the synagogue every week. They weren't on any of the rotors. But they were making decisions, building their houses on something more solid than the religious people. They were following the teaching of Jesus and of John. And so from this parable, I see that it's, it's not just enough to believe. Our actions and our lifestyle must back up our beliefs. So, and so often in the Christian world, we, we do emphasize belief and, and adherence to a certain creed or set of beliefs or doctrinal statement. But, but what I see Jesus doing here is, is, is emphasizing our lifestyle. And Jesus lays out the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees, the, the foolish builders in, in, in Matthew chapter 23. He says, you load people down with burdens and expectations that they are unable to meet. You love position and prominence. You want to be well thought of by your community. You are active evangelistically, but you're making the people that you convert even worse than you. You're making the temple the center of everything. You're demanding people's tithes, but you're forgetting about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're rotten. You honor the prophets of the past, but if you lived back then, you wouldn't have even followed them. Whoa! You know, when I look around the, the world, the Christian world in particular, I can get quite disheartened on days. Some of the, of the places where there is a greater number of people attending church are often the places where there's the greatest cases of discrimination and conflict, corruption, and prejudice. You know, I was brought up in Northern Ireland. You know, there are more missionaries sent out of Northern Ireland per head of population than any other country in the world. And yet, I grew up in the 1970s during the, the Troubles where there was death and destruction on a daily basis. More than half the population were at church on a Sunday. I was in um, a North American city in the heart of the Bible Belt a few years ago, being driven around the city by this guy. I mean, this church is 40,000 people, and this church is 20,000 people, and this church is 30,000 people, and this church is 20,000 people. So I went home that night and um, Googled this, this particular city. Teenage pregnancy rate in all of America, that city. Child poverty rate, all of America, that city. Violence against women in America, highest rate, that city. But what are all these Christians doing there? Where are they on a Monday? I went to a, an African nation recently who were in revival, biggest corruption going on 
on the continent. It looks good on the outside, but what's going on on the inside? Foolish builders just focusing on the externals. And so I see tribalism and nationalism in the name of Christ. I see discrimination against those who are different, obsession with title and position, a love of money and a desire to accumulate more at the expense of the poorest, a disregard for the planet and the impact of our insatiable appetite for more in these Christian places. Foolish builders. If you build like that, when challenges come, when the storm comes, it will crumble. But if you build your house following the way of Jesus, living our lives dependent upon him, doing what he says, when the storm comes, your house will stand. And that's the second point to this parable. Storms will come. It's not a question of if, they will come to all of us. The Christian message is not come to Christ, everything will be rosy. Not rosy. <laughs> not rosy, rosy, but you know, rosy. You'll live a blessed life. You'll become wealthy. You'll stay healthy. Your children will prosper and do well. Nothing will be able to disrupt your journey to happiness and self-fulfillment. That is not the gospel. Storms will come. Loved ones will get cancer. You will be stuck in uncomfortable circumstances. Children will get sick, may even die. Your business may fail. You may be made redundant, and that's just in the West. Your house could be destroyed by a drone. You could be displaced and living in a refugee camp. Storms will come. But when they come, what is your life built on? Just the externals, turning up to church each week, but not really paying attention to, to my heart. Paying our tithes, but not really treating my colleagues with respect squabbling with my neighbors, protecting myself, my interests, or living a life dependent upon God, committed to walk humbly with Him, to trust Him, to serve others, a life where I'm looking for the good and the best in, in others, where I'm looking to see beauty in unusual places, this is the way of the kingdom. This is building our house on a rock. This is the way of the cross. I'll lead into communion in just a moment. 
But Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Building our house on rock. Being wise builders. Life is not about me. The universe does not revolve around me. It's not about me and my happiness and my success and my fulfillment. It's not about me being free to do and be whatever I want to be and do. The way of the kingdom, the way to build on rock is described here by the example that Jesus gave us. He didn't grasp after. He humbled himself. He became a servant. He laid down his life for us, for others. And this is the foundation for success. Humility, service, sacrifice, death. That's the way to life. If you want to find your life, Jesus said, you've got to lose it. This is the example. Following the way of Jesus ultimately brings the reward that we all are longing for. As wise builders, building our houses on solid foundations, following the way of Jesus, living according to the kingdom ways, so that when the storms come, we stand. That's what people will look at and be amazed by. But amazing on what's Katrina. Just how solid her faith has been over these last couple of years with her health challenges. It's, it's a remarkable thing. I've known Katrina since she was a young person. But even these last few months, I've just seen just a the growth in your faith and your connection with heaven and you have built on the rock and solid foundations. Storms have come and you've stood. That's the difference. When others build on shaky foundations, no foundations, the storms come. Lives fall apart. I don't want to be like Katrina not like others. Not in every way, but of course. And so we come to this table. We come to this table to remind ourselves of the way of the kingdom, the way of the cross, the way we're called to live, building our foundations on something which is solid, it's simple, 
Ribena juice. Fruity red. Bread. Gluten-free option. So Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we are going to come and participate in this symbolic, simple act of taking bread and taking some wine to remember what it is that Christ has done for us and to remember the example that he set us. The way he lived his life, the way he served, the way he gave, the way he didn't hold back. And on this day of Pentecost, we can't do that in our own strength. But he sent his Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that empowered him empowers us to live as he lived. So we do not presume to come to this, your table, Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We're not worthy even to gather up the crumbs from under your table, but it's your nature always to have mercy. So feed us this day with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Come to this table then, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you're weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little, would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. You are welcome with your questions, your doubts, your fears, your hopes, your disappointment, your joys, your commitment, your sorrow, and your pain. Christ welcomes you. We, this church, welcome you. So, Father, as we come and share in this symbolic meal together, may we truly encounter you afresh as we commit our selves again to follow your way, follow your example.
come fill us with your Holy Spirit to enable us to live our lives in you. And may you come and fill and be in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.